In previous sermons, we looked at the letter to Titus from Paul. And we examined some key truths. Paul was keen to pass on the message to Titus as he approached the end of his ministry. To pass on the truth that he may go on to teach amongst the people in Crete. But Paul starts first of all with his credentials in verse 1. He writes, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is, he was called by Jesus himself for humble ministry to be subjected to God's sovereign grace and will and to be then sent out to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ to the towns, to the cities, and to the nations. Paul's position as an, an apostle is, was according to the authority that he received from Jesus himself, his master, Jesus. Paul is not blowing his trumpet as one lady told me. No, rather he points to the purpose of his God-given ministry. And so he unpacks this towards the end of verse 1 to 2. His purpose is this, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. His ministry was to show forth the excellencies of God to God's people, that they may know God's truth, that they may continue to grow in knowing God's truth. But just not know it, but to delight in God's truth. We are also to believe in the word of God and continue to trust in him. And so the aim for all Christians, after being awakened by the Holy Spirit, is two things. Upon hearing the gospel, upon us repenting and putting our faith in Jesus, is two things. Firstly, a godly life. The Holy Spirit gives the fruit of the Spirit to every believer. In him, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness, the Bible says. Secondly, a life filled with the certainty of eternal life. That moment you come to faith in Christ, you're in the kingdom of God. And so Paul terms this hope of eternal life. And he says this hope is not a possibility, it's not a maybe, it's a sure thing. The world's hope is that maybe I might see you tomorrow, or yeah, maybe I might see you another time, or I might accomplish this possibly in the future. I hope to do this. The hope is in Christ is a sure thing. Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is yours forevermore. And so we know that the work of Jesus to bring salvation is appropriated to God's people by regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, which comes from God's mercy and God's mercy alone, not by any works. And so read with me in Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so verse 6 goes on to say, whom he poured out on us, on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. It's that being justified by his grace 
we might become his according to the hope of eternal life. See, the truth of the good news of Jesus coming to save sinners is all the work of saving grace, the grace of God. And so the, the path of every Christian is that Christ appears and he saved us. Christ came, he saved us. But the story is not finished by one single sacrifice, one single offering. He perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He perfected right from the start those who are being sanctified. Those who are being made more and more like Christ. Jesus' life not only serves an example for every believer, but represents the very life that we could not live. So he's not just the example for us. He's the standard. He he is the standard. He's accomplished everything that we could not do. We're not working so that we work ourselves into the kingdom. We're seeking to glorify him and be thankful for what he has done. Once we were dead, but we are now alive in Christ. His death and resurrection has made a living and abiding way for us a way into eternity with God. Those who live by faith in, in the coming Messiah in, Messiah in the Old Testament, those who repented and put their faith in him and in the New Testament and us today must continue to look to Jesus. They look to him, him that was to come. We look back to see what Christ has done. But we look forward to his coming back. How are we to live? The life you live now is not your life alone. But the life of Christ, which we are to live for him. That's what we're meant to do now. But this life must produce fruit of godliness. We don't just exist here and wait for Christ's return. There is work to be done. Holy work. And so from the days of Noah to this very day, the word of God is proclaimed, is preached for two reasons. To call people to repentance and faith. And to edify, number two, to edify and to build up the church, God's people. What for? For godly living and to serve. For godly living and to serve. The proclaimed word is what Paul refers to in verse 3. God's promise of eternal life manifested through the proclaimed word of God. So last time we went through the qualifications of elders and pastors. The character, the home life, relationship, relationships with others. What he should refrain from, verse 7 in chapter 1 says, not to be arrogant quick-tempered, a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. We spoke about what he should be like, hospitable, love, good, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Most of all, his relationship with God 
and the word is important. Verse 9 says, hold tightly, hold tightly, firmly to the word of God. and To trust and obey that word. And thus to be able to rebuke those who contradict God's word. But this word is not just for pastors and elders only. These are qualities for every believer in Christ. Every believer in Christ should be living for the glory of God. This is how we should live. But what happens? What happened to the people in Crete as they sought to live for God? The Bible here says, false teachers entered in amongst them. As it happens in Crete, it happens now. We're reminded of the Church of England recently. The priests now being permitted to give a blessing, civil marriage of the same-sex couple. They're permitting them to bless such atrocities. The Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York made this joint statement. For the first time, the C of E will publicly, unreservedly, and joyfully welcome same-sex couples in church. This is not an example of hospitality. This is embracing of worldly ideologies, lifestyles that contradict God's word. It contradicts God's created order, God's plan, and God's purposes. It's blatant sinning. It's celebrating sinning also. There's the sin aspect, but there's also the sin of celebrating such things. But we shouldn't look too far. Sometimes we look at other churches. Is it possible that false teaching can enter into reformed settings? Yes, it can. And we mustn't be so prideful and think that it's not possible. We must guard ourselves from false teaching. We are now living in post-truth, a post-truth culture. Objective truth is subjective now. Objective truth has been thrust aside. My truth is my truth. What I believe is how I should live goes. Truth really doesn't matter anymore. Reality is people can't handle the truth. To handle the truth, you need to know God's word. See, nowadays when you speak the truth, you are labelled arrogant. You're not hospitable. You're out of touch. You're seeking to demean other people. The truth has been turned upside down. The world itself has been turned upside down. Someone once said this, the church should never be a safe space for bad ideas. It must be a place where people are treated with gentleness and respect, but also a place where corrupted thinking goes to die. Corrupted thinking goes to die. We don't celebrate those things. But rather, sinners come amongst God's people like we are sinners, saved by grace, to receive grace. 
to be transformed and renewed. Sin must die. Let's read those words again. Verse 11 to 14. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts. They are lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of the people who turn away from the truth. There are three things we want to see this morning. False teaching is characterised by straying from sound doctrine. False teaching is a constraint to a believer's walk and growth in sound doctrine. False teaching must be corrected so believers do not stray from sound doctrine. The character... The constraint, the correction. Let's firstly look at that first one. The character. False teaching is characterised by straying from sound doctrine. Paul writes in Titus, in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might, be, you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. Why did he write this? Verse 10 tells us, for there are so many, there are many, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. See, although Paul had shared the gospel and witnessed and tilled the ground in Crete, and there was fruits of conversion, but there was still unfinished business that Titus was tasked with finishing, with completing. He needed to put things into order by appointing elders by appoint, appointing leaders. Why? Because many false teachers had kept crept in. Dismantling. Disordering. Who were these false teachers? Verse 10 makes it clear. They were mainly the Jewish leaders of the day. The circumcision party. Whilst we may not know exactly what these people were teaching, these leaders were teaching. But the fact that Paul stresses the circumcision party gives us an idea that they may have been teaching that salvation is not just you receive the grace of God, but you must, it's salvation plus works. You must earn your way into the good books of God. You must earn your way to receive salvation from God. And we know this from other letters that Paul wrote. And if you remember in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem Council, a debate arose about circumcision. Some of the Jewish leaders were demanding that newly converted Christians should also be circumcised so that, that they must keep the Mosaic law, the, the law of Moses, by being circumcised. But also in Galatians 2.12, Paul confronted Peter. Initially, Peter was amongst the people, the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, the Jewish people came along and he changed tact. Hey, I can't be seen with you. See, they may have believed that Christians come to faith, these leaders. They may have believed that Christians come to, come to faith by God's grace. But their message is different. Their message is that 
you must continue to grow by being circumcised or by following rules and regulations. Human rules and regulations. Human commands. See, I once witnessed a leader in a group setting state this. He said that those that don't speak in tongues should doubt their salvation. And that all true believers will speak in tongues. See, at the time I was already wrestling with what the Bible speaks on tongues. Things started to unravel even more when a brother said this in that meeting. I don't speak in tongues. Does that mean that I am not saved? Where is the requirement in the Bible? Show me. And later the, the leader apologised. said they didn't quite mean what they said. But I'd witnessed them say it previously and they continued to say those things. Even after the apology. See, the leader believed in the grace of God to save, but the tongues as evidence of salvation. Now, it is one thing to differ on what tongues are, and I truly believe it is a language. It's, it is a language. It is, it's another thing to make what is descriptive in Acts as something that's prescriptive for every believer. Sometimes the, the truth distorted is error it's not truth at all and one clear evidence that the bible puts forward for being filled with the holy spirit it's not tongues something that's clear for every believer is that we would have the fruit of the spirit that we would walk in love joy peace kindness goodness that when you are filled with the holy spirit you grow in love for god in delighting in god and loving others that's the evidence. There ought to be a zeal for God's word. A zeal for God's people. A zeal for God's house. A boldness in proclaiming the truth of God. To share it. To witness others about the wonderful good news that you have heard and you've known and you've come to receive and you are enjoying. It leads us to holiness. To be set apart. But also, finally, what Paul is saying here is every truth of God must lead you to godliness. Must make you more Christ-like. That's what Titus is teaching us. That's what the Bible is teaching us. And so note the descriptions Paul gives. These leaders, these false teachers are, number one, insubordinate. They are insubordinate, insubordinate empty talkers and deceivers. This is true for every false teacher today. So notice where we've previously seen the word insubordinate. Take a look at verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. See, a key characteristic of false teaching is a rebellious attitude to the truth of God. An unwillingness to submit to the word of God. Excusing sin is a commonplace. With no genuine repentance, rather lived experiences become the gospel. 
how I've seen things done rather than what God's word says. And so in verse 6, the reference is to unruly and rebellious children who are under the care of their parents. The idea is the same here. That these leaders, these false teachers, were openly straying away from sound doctrine. They behaved like unruly and rebellious children. So when we compare what Paul has said from verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, true follower of Christ is a servant of God under the lordship of Jesus. These false teachers did not bring themselves, were not under the lordship of Jesus. They behaved like rebellious children. They were, number two, empty talkers. There's a sense here that these men had great oratory skills. They could talk the talk, but they didn't walk it. There was nothing substantive in their speech. They were full of meaningless talk. And certain persons, by swerving from the truth, wander into vain discussion, First Timothy tells us. They speak of what they do not understand, yet make bold and confident assertions. They said, it's this, this is what God says. But they're not submitted to God's word. The true preaching of God's word is found in verse 2 and 3. Preaching should always be proclaiming God's word, God's promised word, in hope of eternal life. It's the word of God causing you to seek for Christ's return? Is it causing you to seek for eternity and time spent with the Lord? <coughs> These leaders were deceivers. False teaching deceives others, luring, luring them directly or indirectly to believe a variant of the truth, which isn't the truth at all. Any deviation from the word of God is an error. Deceivers are skilled in what they do to manipulate others in order to get what they want. That's what the devil did in the garden. Did he really say? When we compare these deceivers with verse 3, what leaders should be. Leaders or teachers of God's word should serve as ones entrusted by God under shepherds. Entrusted with God's word to bring it to God's people. Entrusted with God's word to live for themselves a godly life. They must preach the tried, the tested and the true word of God. Number four, shameful gain. The circumcision party had one ultimate goal, financial gain. See verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. They were insubordinates, empty talkers, deceivers, teaching what was not sound for financial gain. So the Cretans historically were well known for having these um, so-called prophets for prophets, as they call prophets for prophets. Uh, this is a distinct mark. We know of false teachers even today. Financial gain is always at the end of it. But when we see verse 7, an overseer must not be greedy for gain. 
An overseer must not be greedy for gain. The key thing here is the focus. Is it God's elect and God's people or for personal desires and personal accomplishments? If I asked you today, is godliness, is it gain to you? Is godliness gain to you? I think most people would say yes. Most people would say, yeah, the Lord wants me to live in a godly way. But this just depends on, on the definition of godliness, isn't it? How you believe you should be godly. What you should do to be godly. See, the false teaching that, was, that they were talking here was more specifically along the lines of legalism. Following Jewish myths. Following commands that God actually didn't say. It sounds like good when I'm following rules. But rules don't save. Rules in and of themselves, especially if they're humanly given, they don't lead to godliness, as we will see. What differentiates godly teachers and false teachers? Well, verse 1. Gospel-centered leaders are servants of God for the sake of of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with true godliness. See, false teachers serve themselves for the sake of profitable gain through deception. They lead others to false godliness. That's the first group Paul is referring to. But it's not a surprise that the landscape of Crete was overridden with falsehood and just as it's not a surprise today that this modern society that we live in, we live such subjective truths. When corrupt people lead, the fruit is therefore to be seen. We see the fruit of ungodliness in the land. But Paul addresses another group of people. That is those who are believers but have been influenced by these false teachers. They are Christians, but they have turned to works. They have turned to keeping themselves saved by following human commands. And so this is our second point this morning. False teaching is a constraint to believers, to their growth in sound doctrine. The word Cretan was not just associated with those who lived in Crete, but actually, it was synonymous with the characteristics of those who were present there. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so Paul is so blunt as to say that testimony is true. Even though that's a quote from one of their own prophets that knows them quite intimately. Paul says that testimony is true. See, like a dead clock is correct at least twice a day. Even these so-called prophets sometimes are right. How would you describe our modern society today? I don't think it's much different to how these Cretans were. Liars, evil beasts, gluttons. We have politicians whom, who, who we can't trust. 
We can't trust what they say. We can't trust what comes out of their mouth. Ungodly leaders have helped shape the course of our society as we know it. With every successive government or leader, there's an increase in immorality. It's increase in ungodly laws and regulations. It's so rife within our society. But also something else. There's an increase in animal instincts. That's what Paul is agreeing with this so-called prophet about. There is this evil beast that is let loose. Instincts devouring one another. Sexually. Corrupt speech, abuse, greed. The list goes on. We can say the same about the church. Some of these things are entering into the church. When you look at the churches up and down this land, are we standing for righteousness? Are we allowing the world to shape our ideas and our thinking and our mind? It seems to be more of an influence of the world on the church than the church on the world. False teaching is a threat to a believer's growth in sound doctrine. What you allow in your ears, what you see, what you're watching, what you're feasting on, on will either cause you to grow in the knowledge of the truth or divert you away from it. How does this false teaching play out for us today? Well, false teaching can occur in any assembly and we must guard against it. But also, the question is, it's not just on a Sunday gathering, but during the week, what music are we listening to? What are we watching? What preachers are we hearing on YouTube? What are we feasting on? What podcast do you like that is shaping your worldview and your view of the church, or the view of Christianity, or the view of how you should live your life. What books are you reading? Who is discipling you? Are they sound in faith? Who are you allowing to invest into your life? What went incredibly wrong with these Christians? They experienced the power of God, yes, to save them. Paul was witnessing and had already done that. He was sharing the gospel with them. They, like we, have come to see their sins as rebellion against God. They, they have known the saving knowledge of Christ through faith. They know the gospel. They know that the gospel is that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not by works done, but it's all Jesus. His single sacrifice. They had heard of the justification of faith and the peace with God through Christ Jesus. They understand the doctrines of grace, we could say. Yet the point of this letter to Titus serves as a warning and a reminder that we come to faith in Jesus through the proclaiming of the gospel. But by the means by which we seek to grow in the knowledge of the truth is a devotion to that sound doctrine. We don't just hear it once. We are devoted to pressing on in growing, in knowing the word of God. We do not slap back, but we press on. We do not seek human traditions or human doctrines, 
We seek what God has said, his word that was promised before time and has come at the appointed time. See, when a business does a SWOT analysis, they're looking for strengths, aren't they? They're looking for threats, weaknesses, opportunities. Sometimes with opportunities for growth can come as threats to the business. We must be careful how we are growing in the word of God. The filter in which we come into God's word. The filter when you come on a Sunday morning. It's important. How you're hearing God's word. How you're processing it. Must be influenced by how you're reading it on a daily basis also. Being part of a community of believers. To strengthen one another. Iron strengthening iron. How were these believers swayed from sound doctrine? It wasn't bring your money to God's house and you will be blessed. It wasn't come to Jesus and your life will be rosy. No, they were diverted from sound doctrine by Jewish myths and commands of people. Legalism, legalism brought the disorder that Paul instructed Titus to put into order. See, all true believers of God have been saved from ungodliness, but we must go on being trained to renounce ungodliness. We must go on being trained to renounce ungodliness by holding firmly to the word of God, holding firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. These Cretan Christians had begun paying attention to the ceremonial laws, and obeying other rules and commands set by these circumcision parties, myths, manufactured facts, or manufactured stories, rather, with no basis in fact. They knew the living God as the author of life, of eternal life, who never lies. But they were lured by believing worldly lies. See, religious rules do not change us to become godly. Religious rules and commands do not teach us to renounce worldly ways. Legalism does not enable a follower of God to escape the influence of the world. And so we notice that the churches in Crete did not only face opposition from outside, but within the church also. These corrupt leaders created disorder within, from within, by their lifestyle. They were liars evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. See, we are unable to guard ourselves against being Cretans, so to speak, by just following rules and regulations. These Jewish leaders and religious leaders were not teaching live how you want to live. They were not saying that freedom reigns in this place. They weren't saying that. They were not saying... Your truth is your truth. They were saying you must live by our command. It's a difference there. They weren't, some of the things they were saying weren't, there was some truth there. But they were saying, no, do this also. This is how you walk in godliness. This is how you become godly. They were focused on unnecessary rituals and teachings. 
The question is, did these false teachers grow themselves? Did they grow in defeating sin? Was there evidence that they were growing in defeating sins? No. Was there evidence that these Christians were growing in defeating sin? No. Because they were straying away from the truth. Paul's saying here that these very Christians were like those in the world. Liars. Lives of denial. Lives of omission. Lies of fabrication, fabrication, lies of minimization, lies of exaggeration. We're not to follow the way of the father of lies. They were like, like evil beasts. They were those who were like dangerous animals. It's a sharp way to describe some of these Christians. They depended on their instincts and lived for their instincts. What if they should be living as sheep following the true shepherd? They were like lazy gluttons, fed with much knowledge, but incapacitated to live out God's word. What a terrible thing. That as Christians, we can be so full of God's word but we're not living it out. That is such a conundrum. How is that word benefiting us? How is it benefiting others within the church? How does it benefit the word, the world at large, if it's, we're just being fled, fed, 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 fed? When we don't take in true sound doctrines of faith, we're not able to live the godly life God has planned for us. See, in our diverse society of religious pluralism and ethical relativism, that is that whether my action is right or wrong is according to the moral standards of the land or the people or the society in which I practice those things. That's the world we live in now. Christians may find it difficult to confront those who disagree with basic truths that are not of the Christian faith. Or, sorry, rather, we can find it difficult to confront those who disagree with the basic truths of Christian faith. We find it difficult to speak. So, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to rock the boat. Yet, if we ignore false teaching, Paul warns that it, it goes widespread. It goes from the individuals. It goes to families. It goes to churches. And it influences others around us. We can't afford to be silent. And this is our third point. False teaching. False teaching must be corrected. So believers do not stray from sound doctrine. How is this possible? You must rebuke. Rebuke and silence. Silence and rebuke. Read verse 11. False teachers must be silenced. False 
teachers must be silenced. Christians who are swayed by such teachings, Paul says in verse 13, must be rebuked sharply. Why? What's the purpose? Because of the nature and impact of such teachings. Other believers walk with Christ is a stake. Unbelieving and unbelievers hearing of the gospel is at stake. When we do not silence false teachers, when we do not rebuke those who are straying from the gospel. But to what motivation? What is the purpose? Why should we do these things? Is it redemptive? It has to be redemptive. Is it just so that we can just be angry? I don't like what they're doing. No. We should be seeking that others are sound in the faith. That they are drawn back. That they repent. Verse 11. They must be silenced because they are cancerous to the church. That is what it means by they are upsetting whole families. These churches were meeting at home and they were coming in and amongst people to distort the order there, to cause them to stray away. That's why they must be silenced. But verse 13 also says, rebuke the Christians, those who are swaying away, those who are led away. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. How should we apply these truths to our church, to our lives, to our society this morning? Are you here this morning and you have not made a profession of faith? Please don't trade eternity for worldly pleasures. Do not trade eternity with God for the things of this world that will pass away, for the things of this world that will be burnt up. There are things that look enticing and pleasurable. It's not worth chasing those things. Why gain everything here in this world? world? Why acquire all? Why, Why live a lie in this world? Why be gluttonous and acquire all the things in this world? Why be ruled by your instinct when Christ has come to die for sinners? Christ has accomplished it all. Christ, the truth. Christ, who has gone to the cross. Christ, who humbled himself for you. Do not trade this worldly Treasures for Christ's true treasures of eternity. My message to you this morning is not to live in ungodliness. Jesus has made a living and an abiding way for all who repent from their sins and believe in him. Are you in search for the truth? I don't know, maybe you feel like Jesus is his teaching is good. Why is he the truth? Why is he the truth? What does he have to offer me? What does he give me? 
when I've got it all already. I've, or maybe I, I, I've already, I, I know the plans for all the things I want to do in life. I've set them out already. The truth is, those things are futile. You will always be chasing the truth. Something is missing in you that only Jesus can solve. The thing is sin. Jesus has come to die for sinners. When the grace of God appeared, the kindness and goodness of God appeared, he saved us. What you're missing is salvation. You're not missing out if you go against the pleasures of this world. If you go against the commands of people that are living in ungodliness, you're not missing anything. What you are truly missing is God's heart. A heart that's loving towards you. That does not want you to perish, but to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. There is only one truth that matters and is worth knowing. The truth of Christ will save you. It will give you eternal life. It will give you an eternal home. To those who don't renounce on godliness and worldly passions and put their trust in Jesus will not be saved from the judgment to come. There is a judgment to come that you will not stand on that day unless you know Christ, him crucified, unless you are believing in him and you are trusting in him. Do not wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. I pray that you would ask the Lord to reveal his truth to you, that he would open your eyes. There is no greater thing than knowing Jesus. There is no greater gain. There's nothing you can gain in this world than gaining and knowing Jesus, to live for Jesus alone. Are you a Christian, but you don't know where to start with all of this doctrine stuff? You're not sure where to begin. Or maybe you are at the stage of unlearning a lot of bad doctrines that you've become acquainted with. What should you do? How can you even know what is sound doctrine and what is not? There is no quick fixes, brothers and sisters. There is no quick fixes. You must study the word. Study the word of God to be an approved servant of God. Study the word that you may know what's false. It's a holy work. To be like the Bereans. There's three things that we can learn from the Bereans in Acts 17. They received God's word. When when we're talking about just studying God's word, we're not just talking about just reading it and like, I can cover the Bible in a year in a, a certain amount of minutes every day. That's just ticking the box. That's just rules and regulations. That does not lead to godliness. We must receive God's word. There's an attitude, a heart attitude to receive God's word, to surrender and say that whatever I know, Lord, witness to me, speak to me through your Holy Spirit in your word. Allow God to work in your life daily basis, washing you and cleansing you with his word. That's receiving God's word. 
We must examine God's word. So many of us, we just take God's word for how it's spoken. Do we go home and examine God's word? Weigh scripture with scripture. That's how we grow. Not just on a Sunday and hearing God's word every week. We are being fed and fed and fed. We do not want to be gluttonous with the knowledge of the truth. We want to live in godliness. We want to live as godly people. Examine God's word. But also, we don't examine God's word enough. We only believe when we've examined and we've tested God's word. When you test God's word with his word, it creates in you even more desire to know his word. I encourage you to examine God's word. Three things before we close. Repent and submit to the Lord and stand against the lies of the devil that it's not important to know his word. Sometimes we get up in the morning and it's like, it's not the priority of the day because there's so many things to do. It's a lie. It's the very thing that we need to do. It's the very thing that we need to hear. It's the very thing that will help us to focus on Christ, to focus on what he's done, to know the gospel. Let's not take it for granted. I know life is busy. We're all busy. But it's a holy work that's got to be done. Searching the scriptures. It needs to be done. It needs to be done for you. It needs to be done for your family. It needs to be done for the church. It needs to be done for the world. Why? So that we are sound in doctrine. So we are sound in what we know. So that we believe in Christ and we continue to believe in him. Are we actively cultivating a daily submission to God's word? It helps us to grow in in faith that's far greater than anything we can gain in this world. We must fight those desires that belittle the importance of God's word. The tiredness, the lack of discipline, but rather we must strive, we must strive in reading God's word. See, studying and meditating on God's word is important. Devotional books are are great, But devotional books are not a substitute for studying God's word. Neither is studying God's word a substitute for meditating on God's word. We need to do it all. They all have their benefits. If we're just in the devotionals but we're not studying God's word, we're not weighing scripture with scripture. But also if we're just studying God's word but we're not examining it by meditating on God's word, How do we put it into practice? The more we ponder on God's truth, it changes us. We are not called to laziness, but we must battle by the help of the Spirit. Are you battling sin and backsliding this morning? Repent and confront those sins with the word of God. How should you do that? Well, sit on the sound teaching. Fill your mind with the gospel, what Christ has done. Your sins promise pleasure. Your sins promise to give you a good time. Our sins promise to satisfy us, but they don't. 
They never last. They never satisfy. The gospel of Jesus is that you do not need to get drunk because he offers shelter and refuge for you. He offers refuge for your pain. He gives you so much more than alcohol can give you. You do not need to be addicted to that thing. Why? Because he gives you so much more pleasure. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do not trade those earthly things for glorious things in Christ. I've been there. Do not get stuck in that rut. Christ can save you from those things when you submit those things to him. But you must do a holy work. You must pursue Christ and ask for that grace to do so. He gives you so much more joy. Your life has meaning. Your life as identity, true satisfaction is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not in those things that ensnare you. That's where true freedom is. To the true silence in the false teaching and rebuking of those who, de- who devote themselves to false teaching is only possible as you grow in sound doctrine. We silence false teaching by speaking the truth. That's the work of all Christians. We need others around us to be sound in the faith. We can't do this outside of community. This is why it's so crucial to gather with the saints. We can't do it without community. We need others to tell us when, no, I, are you sure that's what the word is? Let's, let's chop the word together. Let's study the word together. We need each other. Good theology is worked out in community. We must pray for this. If your only satisfaction is to acquire and to abuse the pleasures of this world beyond the good God has intended them for, food, money, sex, you're only living for yourself. Those who live life on their own terms only serve to lose out on eternal life. How should we guard against false teaching, false teachers in the life of the church? We must know the word. How should we guard against following human-derived commands? Know the word. How should we warn Christians depending on works for salvation? Know the word. How do we silence? How do we, sorry, rather, how do we silence false teaching? With the word of God. We preach the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus has paid it all. He has accomplished it all. So now live for him. Live for him because he has bought your very life. He has bought your very life. False teaching is characterised by straying from sound doctrine. False teaching is a constraint on believers' growth in sound doctrine. False teaching must be corrected so believers do not stray from sound doctrine. Amen.